You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Hi, this is Noah Rosenfarb, and with me today, my friend and partner at Shoreview Industries, Tom DeVidio. Tom is an expert in the private equity industry. I'm real excited to have him with us today to share some thoughts around private equity and how private equity firms have really added value to owners and also to the economy. So, Tom, maybe we could start off by telling our listeners a little bit about private equity firms in general. What are, what are some of the things that private equity firms have in common? Good question, Noah. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the call. Also, well, private equity firms are a company that aggregates capital from institutional investors and high net worth individuals for the purpose of investing that in businesses of various varying different sizes, shapes, <laughs> industries, etc. Um, what they do have in common is that all of them look to take investor capital, invest it in businesses, and generate returns for their investors. Some of the differences they have is really based upon the the, uh, the, the, their investment philosophy, investment mandate. It's like going to a doctor. If you've got a heart issue, you go to a cardiologist. If you've got, you know, a, uh, a broken bone, you go to an orthopedic doctor. Same thing with private equity. Different firms have different mandates. Some companies pursue, some firms pursue earlier stage technology deals. Others pursue later stage businesses, ones that are profitable, have been around. Uh, and then it goes even further than that. The, some firms pursue manufacturing businesses, distribution businesses, healthcare businesses, et cetera. So when looking, you know, as an entrepreneur that's, lo- entrepreneur that's looking for private equity capital, they really need to um, identify a firm that, you know, fits what they do uh, as far as types of business, size of their business, et cetera. And why would an owner want private equity capital? Give me some reasons that people seek out a private equity firm to have as a partner. Yeah, a few reasons. Uh, First and foremost, some type of liquidity event. And that may be, you know, a management team looking to buy a business. The team does not have the capital to actually execute on the transaction, and they need a partner to help them facilitate that liquidity event for the owner. Another example could be the owner himself or herself are are running the business, and they're looking to sell a portion of the business but stay on and run day-to-day operations and also stay on for a meaningful piece. You know, by way of example, um, you know, working on a deal right now where uh, it's a family business, uh, the owner has no children or siblings involved in the business, but really believes in the growth of the business uh, going forward. 
he and his wife have most of their net worth tied up in the business and are looking to diversify, so to speak. So they want to bring on a partner that can you know, buy a portion of the business, and in this case it would be a majority portion. They're going to stay on for an influential minority ownership position, but also stay on and run the business. And then going forward, any additional capital that's needed, they've got a partner to share in that risk. They don't need to commit 100% out, out of their pocket going forward. So almost having their cake and eat it too. They get to you know benefit from the value they've created uh, historically and, and get liquidity on that, but also value, uh, take advantage of the value going forward and having a partner not only to share in the, uh, in, in, in the capital needs of the business, but also maybe a partner that can share some of their experiences, um, you know, from owning businesses and seeing businesses grow under their watch um, and, and hopefully help accelerate that growth process. So is it primarily those two components, either the management team needs money or the owners want some, you know, as they say, take their chips off the table but get a second bite at the apple? Yeah, those are, those are the two primary reasons. And there's, there's other there's – other, uh, there, there's other examples. It could be a, a divestiture of a large corporation that's looking to sell a division that just doesn't fit with their – you know, strategic plans going forward, and uh, you know they turn to private. That corporation would turn to private equity. It doesn't necessarily have to be a large corporation. It could be a division of a privately held business. The own, it's not core to to where the owner's taking the, uh, the, the the rest of the business. So they're looking for a solution, someone to come in and and uh, you know buy that company, that division, for example. It also could be a owner looking for growth capital. They may want to buy. A, uh, a competitor. They may want to expand, uh, you know, internationally, open up a facility in, in, in China or Europe, uh, and they're looking for a partner to help fund that. They do not want to reach into their own pocket for that risk capital or equity and, uh, and, and looking to bring on a partner and willing to uh, dilute a little bit for that. You know, the theory being, you know, one and one makes three, so it's worth the dilution because it takes the business that much further. So do you find that people are reaching out to you and other private equity firms saying, hey, I've identified that I need private equity, or is it the other way around? Are you out trying to find owners that haven't heard this story, and maybe it resonates with them, and and you can put a deal together? Yeah, deals come to us through a variety of sources and and to uh, private equity firms in general. You know, first and foremost, um, the investment bankers typically will, you know, represent a company and 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 help them market it for sale. Uh, that's one way. Second is uh, companies. Uh, we identify companies through proactive efforts, meaning we will search. We'll develop an investment thesis around a particular industry, or uh, or, or some type of criteria. It could be size. It could be geographic location. And then we will hire, we will hire someone to help us proactively search around the criteria that we set up for that thesis. Um, and then third is uh, pe- people reach out to us proactively, and sometimes that's directly. I'll get calls from business owners, uh, or it could be through uh, one of their professional advisors. I'll get a call from the company's accountant, company's attorney. Often the uh, seller's uh, financial planner will reach out. 
So it's a variety of sources, but for the most part, it's either you know companies, uh, someone that's representing the company officially in a sale, us identifying the company and calling them directly, or the company or one of their professional advisors uh, reaching out to us directly. So once once an owner has recognized that a private equity firm may make the best partner for them and, and solve their current problem, what's the process of doing a deal? How long does it take? Who's involved? What's involved? Yeah, deals can take anywhere from you know forty five days to to ninety days on average, and it really all depends on how prepared the company is. Most private equity firms are very skilled at executing deals that is you know initially meeting the company, going through the initial evaluation, signing a some type of non binding letter of intent with the company, and then getting the comp- getting the deal to a closing most company most private equity firms are very skilled at that process and have the requisite third party professionals on retainer, so to speak, meaning they've got their lawyers lined up that they work with, they've got their accountants, they've got their um, you know, other other consultants that are needed to diligence the business. Typically, the company hasn't gone through something like this, and that's really where we find sometimes the log jam is. Not that it's insurmountable, just you know the company's got to worry their their management team's got to worry about running the business day to day. They've got to worry about you know hitting their growth objectives, <laughs> and then on top of it, you got to add the diligence process or the sale. So you know usually 45 to 90 days is is what we tell people, depending upon the availability that management has to commit to the the due diligence process. And that's. That's after they've entered into a dialogue and probably vetted some other potential either acquirers or strategic partners? Yeah, that, correct. That's once a letter of intent is signed. Um, however, you know, you know, if, if, if you're looking at how long the process can be from, you know, the, the day that the owner decides they want to sell um, or, or bring on a partner in the form of a private equity investor or even a strategic investor um, till the day that the money hits the table and the deal closes, you know, that can be anywhere from 120 days or it could be, you know, as long as, you know, six months or sometimes even a year. Yeah, and again, it all depends so, on on how motivated I think the business owner is, and how uh, you know how quick they're you know they're willing to work. So. And and what would you say comes as the biggest surprise to owners and the deals that you're working on? Uh, either surprises in that it takes them more time to either get past certain hurdles, or 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 surprises in the sense of you know they they just didn't understand what was going to happen. For the most part, and, and, and making the assumption that you know the business owner has not gone through a sale of another business before, I think it's the due diligence process that really takes people by surprise. And most entrepreneurs take their institutional knowledge of their business for granted, meaning they've lived with the business for, and you know. 10 years, 20 years, however long, you know, maybe it's been in their family, and they know it like the back of their hand. This investor needs time to understand the business and and uh, sort of t- 
take the knowledge that the seller has and 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 really really put that down to a uh, in, in into a format that you know they understand what they're buying and that takes time that takes people as well it takes not only the private equity investor and their professionals but you know they'll typically bring an accountant in and do a uh, quality of earnings uh, just some analysis around the fin- historical financials they'll have their attorneys work not only on the transaction documentation but also legal diligence understanding the entities that are part of the deal understanding what's going to be part of the deal is it an asset deal is it a stock deal any type of contracts need to be developed with managed key management members uh, as far as employment contracts non-competes all of that stuff takes time you know typically uh, the private equity firm will typically bring on a consultant just to review the insurances and the benefits to make sure the company's got you know adequate insurance in place and and appropriate benefits going forward um, sometimes they'll do a customer study or a market study, depending upon you know, the private equity firm's experience in a particular industry. So all of that takes some time. Most most firms like ours are very skilled at at moving all those all those items along in parallel. But uh, so and that's why it usually takes you know 45 to to 90 days once a once a letter of intent's done because you've got to get you know all those all those people in motion and making sure they're executing on on, on their particular tasks. Yeah, I think what I've found in my experience is that owners get shocked with how how much they have to dedicate in resources to handling due diligence. And one of the things we recommend is that business owners either undergo a mock legal audit and or like a mock due diligence process prior to a transaction so that they have the flexibility and a little bit um, uh, more control when they get to the real exercise. Hopefully they've set up a data room, they have things stored in the right places, and they've been able to put that together without the pressure of a deal looming. Have, have you seen that? Have you seen any sellers that were well prepared? Oh yeah, of course. You know, we've seen many sellers that it's not their first first round at this. Meaning they've owned another business in the past and have sold it, and you know have sort of have the scars already from from that process, uh, and they're much more prepared. Uh, many have you know members of their management team, whether it be a COO or a CFO, that have gone through it, or just are generally astute enough to to. Uh, have 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 the foresight as far as what someone's going to be look looking for in regards to uh, gaining an understanding of the business. Others will draw upon their their professional advisors, their accountant, their attorney to help them prepare up front. But the more that the the more that the sellers can can do up front, um, you know, even before starting to either talk to a buyer or you know while they're having those initial courting conversations with with a potential buyer um, to to get ready the, the more it expedites the process and then takes takes the pressure off of the CFO and other members of management for you know, having to go through fire drills I mean the last thing as an investor we want is disruption of, of, of management from day-to-day operations where they're they're taking their eye off the ball from running the business and missing that you know that key strategic sale or that the the, the launch of the that that new product the timing for the launch of that new product line um, so, so really from our perspective uh, you know we 
if, if we feel management's getting stressed, they're not prepared up front, we'll ask them to, and we'll suggest slowing down the process, recognizing there's only 24 hours in a day, and you can't expect someone to work, um, you know, work all that time. So we uh, we're, we usually recommend that they uh, do some upfront preparation, and if not, uh, you know, make sure that the, the transaction moves at a pace that allows them to accomplish everything they need to within the day, uh, including, you know, the diligence. So. so for those owners that haven't done it before, and this would be their first dance, what are the three things you would say, you know what, every owner could kind of do these three pieces and put themselves, you know, farther ahead of the curve than probably a large portion of their peers? Yeah, first and foremost, I, I think it's it's uh, management, you know, does, uh, do they have the right team to drive the business going forward? Um, you know, especially if the owner is 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 the person running day to day, and looking to take a step back as part of the transaction. You know, some owners will often you know they run day to day, they'll look to do a transaction, um, stay on for a minority piece, but want to transition off into retirement, uh, meaning maybe not run day to day post closing, but but sit on the board level, um, keep their finger on the pulse of the business, be an advisor to the management team. So in those cases, you know, it's important to have, um, uh, well, for for the seller's benefit, it's important to have a second-tier team that's ready to take the reins and get, you know, and and lead the business going forward. So I would say the best thing an owner could do is make sure that there's someone sitting, you know, at that senior management team that, that, that is ready to take over the business. And it may not be, you know, right at closing, uh, it may be a year or two after closing, but someone who's the heir apparent. And especially in circumstances when you have, we see it all the time where there's key man risk in the owner uh, who's been running the business for 15 years, 20 years, and God forbid, you know, they they take a two-week vacation, <laughs> you know, uh, there, there's chaos, or God forbid they get sick, there's chaos. So for us as an investor, having that backstop there and, and someone that, uh, you know, someone that could take the reins over, whether it be temporarily or in a, uh, a longer-term period, um, is, is, is helpful. And, and really, it, it, without that there, it definitely adds an element of risk that potentially could impact value. You know, I, I think the other the other thing that uh, owners should be cognizant of is what's the plan for the business in the future. And you know, when I, when I look at a business or in, in, you know any private equity firms looking at a business, you know they're looking to invest money today, have that business grow so that when they sell the business uh, down the road, their investment's worth more. And the only way that it really happens is that the business grows. So being able to uh, articulate a clear growth plan that's substantiated with uh, actionable items. And that growth plan could be expanding a product line. It could be, you know, geographic expansion, whether it be internationally or or, or domestically. Uh, it could be a, a fragmented industry and add-on acquisitions are possible. And uh, all those elements add up to a, a nice growth plan if, if you can clearly articulate those and, and then drill it down to actionable items. And with respect to that growth plan, do you find that the owners that you speak with and the plans that they develop, they've developed them specifically for you? 
or do you find that there are, this is a plan and you are fulfilling their need for capital to achieve the plan? Uh, you know, I would say uh, it, it happens both both ways. I mean, we will we'll come into a deal and, and and the team will have a plan or the owner will have a plan that that's been developed not just because they're selling the business but because it's the right thing to do for any business is to have a roadmap on where you where you've been and where you're going um, but often you know they'll they'll you know an owner will put them you know has run the business less structured or less formal um, and, and they recognize if they're going to sell it they need to be able to communicate that and they'll have to put a plan together um, you know, for that next group. But so I, I would say, you know, half the deals we see, you know, have that as ingrained into the culture as part of, you know, how they how they operate. The other half, you know, probably putting it together just for the process and, and to be able to communicate to uh, an investor that's co- potentially coming on board. So uh, another question that comes to mind about being prepared revolves around financial statements. And I know a lot of owners, you know, they don't want to have an audit done unless their bank requires it. They don't want to have a review done unless their bank requires it. Um, so w- what's your position on that and the information you're going to get in terms of financial statements, accounting, you know, things that you'll get from the accounting back office? Is there anything that owners should be conscious of if they're planning to do a deal in the next couple of years around their accounting functions? Sure. Well, audited statements clearly are preferred. Um, However, not always available, as as, as you uh, suggested there. Um, we've done deals um, where there's only been a compilation. Clearly, raises the bar on the due diligence from a standpoint of, you know, the accountants that we send in need to be not that they're 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 always diligent in their efforts, but you're ticking and tying a lot more things versus if it's an audit, you're typically looking at the auditor's work papers on the historical um, historical performance, and you're able to get comfortable with you know the validity of the numbers you know via the credibility behind the audit versus if there's no audit. Uh, and it's a compilation, for example, uh, you know, the level of scrutiny, uh, you know, has just gone up significantly because we almost have to you know, recreate the process of an audit. Yeah. And it's does that impact goal. value, do you think, or is it just impact time? Um, well, it definitely can impact time. It definitely can impact the cost that we as a firm would uh, would need to invest um, and, and there's some, some implications to value in certain circumstances. Um, depending upon what that, what that exercise finds, I think, will depend upon uh, whether or not value needs to be readdressed. So there's certainly plenty of companies that, that, that do, not, you know, do not have their accountant, accountants do an audit uh, or even a review that you know are taking that position because they have no no one to answer to maybe they don't have a bank to that's going to dictate that um the family owned business so it's there's no outside investors that are dictating that but yet they run the business with the same level of processes and procedures and the same level of scrutiny um that you would find in many audited businesses or reviewed businesses so in those cases i would say there's likely not going to be any type of valuation um 
issues. However, often you do find that uh, there's a lot of adjustments that come out of that process, that, that accounting review process, when they're not, you know, when they're not raising their accounting standards up to an audit or, or a review that do adjust value. You know, there may be some things that are misclassified uh, on the P&L or, or expenses, you know, the accrual, they may not be accruing appropriately. They may have a bunch of liabilities, uh, potential liabilities that need to be accrued for that impact earnings. So um, it's tough, you know, it's tough to say that, uh, you know, I, will, I can't say that it happens all the time, but certainly um, if, if, if the statements are compiled, there definitely would be a, a, a bigger chance for some type of uh, discussion around value uh, that would impair value. Um, and it, you know, review. Uh, I would say most most of the time when people are doing reviews, um, they have the processes and, and procedures in place. Um, you know, to to, to really tr translate to an audit. Um, however, they just decide maybe not to pay for that extra that extra step because there is for for some businesses it is, it is a big jump in cost to go from an annual review statement to an audited statement. So. Yeah. Switching gears a little and talking about, you know, the owners having the conversation with their management team, their their employees, maybe even their customers. What would you say are some best practices and maybe common mistakes that you've seen when owners sign a letter of intent and they're going through this process and now they're out trying to, you know, sell the new partner on the team, uh, describe what's going on in their company? Give me a, a couple of stories, maybe, of how people have either done it right or done it wrong. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a tough call to make as a business owner. You know, we often sell business. You know, the businesses that we invest in and buy often go through a sale process uh, someplace down the road after our investment, and it's always a a point of discussion and debate as far as when do you tell people internally, and who do you limit that. That, that communication to, and then when do you tell your customers and your vendors? Clearly, people don't like surprises. I, c I can say over the course of doing, you know, the many years doing this, that you know, customers, key members of management, don't like surprises, and you know, I, m I would always recommend to a business owner that they don't surprise people you know that they a deal closes they call up their largest customer and and tell them or or their largest customer hears it through you know an industry announcement um, what we usually recommend is that you know in order to to not only have a, a a fluid process to to, to close uh, but but also uh, generate the information we're going to need as a private equity firm to get comfortable making that investment yet the owner needs to let the key members of management you know in the tent to be able to uh, have a, a due diligence process that's efficient and effective um, as far as notifying customers we find and usually recommend they wait a little bit through the process let us get you know our accounting uh, diligence done let us get our our, our financing or any any bank financing we're bringing to the table let us get that done and then allow us to go out and talk to uh, talk to customers and key customers and vendors um, occasionally we'll want to do that up front and investors will want to do that up front especially if there's a big customer concentration because you know no sense to go through all that work if 
that customer relationship's not stable because you know if you've got a 25 30% customer um, and and that business you, you can't get comfortable that there's some stability around that relationship long term uh, it's going to be difficult to get the deal done so before we ask the sellers to commit the time and the the resources uh, with the third parties they need to use to get a deal closed and before we do that same thing, commit our time and our resources. We typically like to check that concentrated relationship up front. But if there's a diverse customer base, diverse supplier base, that usually can wait to the end of the, the tail end of the process. Um, but how that's communicated to the uh, t- to the customers and the vendors is definitely a, a strategic message that usually we'll work with the owners uh, on and let them know some things that we've seen that worked well in the past and also let them know how to position us. I mean, you know, in the case of Shoreview, we're not folks that come in and run day-to-day of the companies we invest in. We rely key, you know, we rely, rely on the key management to continue to do that. Other investors take a more hands-on operating approach. I know customers and vendors historically, you know, if they enjoy their relationship with the, with, with, with the company um, to date, you know, that that level of continuity, meaning, hey, I'm going to be dealing with the same, you know, same person when I pick up the phone and call, um, you know, that that level of continuity uh, helps in, in making sure there's, you know, you've got a, a happy customer or a happy vendor on, on, on the other end of a transaction. Yeah. And, and do you think most owners take the kind of a real hard look at when and how they're going to tell people these things and they need a lot of coaching? I wouldn't say they need a lot of coaching. I guess they, a lot of them ask us, hey, when, 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 when does someone let their salespeople know? Um, when does someone let their, you know, their, their HR department know? And, and, you know, at the senior levels, you know, those, those, those people are key. You know, the, the vice president of sales, you know, sort of the lead sales employee of the business, you know, we're going to want to talk to before closing. You know, the, the, the person that runs HR, and sometimes that's the CFO, sometimes it's a dedicated HR person, we're, well, we're definitely going to need to talk to before closing regarding some HR things. Um, you know, and typically that HR person's handling insurances uh, and benefits, and we're going to obviously want, need to understand those going into a, a, a deal. Um, CFO clearly needs to be the first person they tell right up front, only because you know the, they're typically the person that's the the keeper of the financial historical financial records, the the the, the, the brains behind uh, putting the budget together, et cetera, going for for, for you know a forward look, and 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 that's typically the first first area we dive into on a deal. So um, often the sellers will ask us, you know, hey, how have you seen it done effectively? What have you seen that, that has worked? What have you seen that hasn't worked? And we'll certainly, uh, you know, give our, give, give our input uh, where appropriate. Maybe, uh, Tom, you could share some stories with our listeners. I think that's one of the things people like most is just hearing about some of your experiences and maybe different owners and describing either what they did right or what they've done wrong in terms of preparing for a deal, closing a deal, you know, finding the right partner. Um, you tell me. Maybe you could share, you know, one or two stories with our listeners. Yeah, I would say the, the, the you know the biggest sort of lessons learned that that that, that I've seen over the years. You know, I've been around finding the right partner, 
um, and that goes both ways. It's it's like a marriage. You know, if a marriage is going to to uh, have the best odds of working, it's you know, do the partners know each other? So, a a process whereby a business owner and an investor like 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 Shoreview gets to know each other and and uh, cultivating the right right relationship, making sure the personalities work, making sure the approaches work, you know, making sure the styles work. You know, not not everyone operates the same way. Some people are more heavy-handed than others. Some people are more laid back um, on both sides of the table. So, just making sure there's you know a fit personally, I think, is is, is important, especially if it's a transaction where the owner plans to stay involved in the business, either in a day-to-day operating role as the CEO or more at the board level. Um, you want to make sure you get along with your partner. So, um, so I think that's sort of the first, first big lesson that 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 that, that I've seen, um, you know, over the years of doing this, and that is making sure, you know, we pick the companies right, and we pick the the, the, the people we're partnering with at those companies right, but vice versa, making sure that, that that people understand who we are and what we're all about and how we operate and conduct ourselves. And there's no way to do that other than, you know. Uh, a courtship, getting to know someone over a few dinners, a few meetings, uh, you know, calling references, a must on both sides of the table, just as we would want eventually through the deal process to call customers and vendors and make sure everything that the company said, you know, we've got great relationships with customers, we've got great relationship with our vendors, they love doing business with us, et cetera. And we, just as we make sure all that checks out, uh, we'd encourage a business owner to call references and not just the references that, that, that a private equity firm gives, gives them. I mean, we typically say, here's all the deals we've done in the past current portfolio, the past portfolio. Here's the professionals we deal with, you know, our accountants, our attorneys, you know, here's the list. You tell me who you want to call. I'm not just going to give them five people. I mean, if they ask for just five people, I'll give them five people, but we're not shy about throwing the whole list on the table and uh, letting them pick who they want to call. If they want to call all of them, you know, that's that's fine. It may take a little while um, uh, to get in touch with all the people, but but certainly uh, we'd want them to make sure they're comfortable going into the relationship as well. And, and we've got nothing to hide. I think, uh, you know, from our perspective, um, just as we're going to ask for you know, uh, unrestricted access. We would we have no problems giving the same in return uh, with regards to uh, you know due diligence that a seller wants to perform on on the potential buyer. Um, and then I would say the the the, the other the other uh, the other big lesson is just sort of understanding expectations up front, and and that is you know expectations of reporting. Uh, you know, a company. You know, if it's a privately held business and just uh, one owner, you know, they're not used to reporting to someone, and not that. I'm not implying by any means that we or other firms have onerous reporting requirements, but just the mere fact of having to send someone a monthly financial and spend time, you know, talking to them about those financials as as a partner, um, you know, is different than most uh, individually owned businesses, uh, business owners are used to. So just understanding expectations going into the relationship, I think, are important on both sides of the table, buyer and seller. Those are great, uh, great suggestions for people and 
things they should be avoiding. What else would you have to share with our listeners that they should be thinking about um, if they're investigating a private equity firm as a partner? Pick, you know, pick one that's going to be able to accomplish, you know, what you're looking for. If you're looking for someone that is, uh, you know, has particular industry experience or, you know, uh, uh, someone that's got, uh, you know, broader operating experience, meaning if, if, if you've got issues that, uh, you know, with regards to your manufacturing plants and you're looking for an investor that can help you make sure they're, you know, operating more efficiently, uh, bring that experience into to the table, you really have to, you have to cater the, your, your, your search for a partner to fit the criteria you're looking for them to fill. No different than the example I gave earlier with the with the, um, the with the, with the doctor. I mean, if if you if if you have a heart problem, you you go to a cardiologist, not an orthopedic surgeon, and and I think the same thing you know goes for you know a, a business owner looking for a partner, uh, a private equity investor to, uh, to 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 buy their business. Really, take the time to understand what you're looking for in that partner, and then take the time to find the partner who meets that criteria. You know, in 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 the Example of Shoreview, you know, we've done a bunch of engineered products deals. We've done a bunch of niche distribution deals, some consumer deals. So we can, you know, bring those experiences to the table. We've done a bunch of deals that, you know, have uh, successfully gone out and made complementary acquisitions, add-on acquisitions after we've invested in those businesses. On average, most of our businesses do, you know, three add-on acquisitions, you know, once we make that initial investment. If that's part of your strategy for growth or the business strategy for growth, Make sure you find a partner who's been there before and who's done it successfully, worked with the teams to help not only identify those add-on acquisition opportunities, but get them closed, and then also has the capital to follow on with if, if, if needed, um, you know, to, to, to get those deals done. So to, from my perspective, that, you know, that, that, that's a, an important part of the process a business owner should go through when they're, you know, looking to identify a partner. Great. Well, if any of our listeners have an interest in learning more about Shoreview Industries and uh, Tom DeVideo's firm, they could go to shoreviewindustries.com. Shoreview primarily focuses on working with companies that have EBITDA of $5 million to $20 million. So if that's the bill for you as a listener and you'd like to go directly to Tom, feel free to reach out to him via his website. Tom, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight and expertise. And thanks to the listeners for joining us once again. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.